Welcome to Third Floor Views, a production of Chesapeake Family Life, where we talk about health, education, and living with kids. I'm your host, Janet Jefferson. Today, we're talking about death. Joining us is Dr. Joey Nichols, MD, Master's in Public Health, Fellow of the American Academy for Family Physicians, board-certified family physician with over 10 years of clinical experience, and founder of Canopy Family Care, which is a direct primary care practice in Tacoma Park, Maryland. And he is here to talk with us today about how to discuss death with kids, aging loved ones, and how to prepare for yourself. Uh, he also has an email course talking about death that won't kill you launched this week. And so we're going to jump into that as well. Well, so a huge thank you, Dr. Joey, for joining us today. I'm so glad to be here, Janet. Dr. Joey, let's get started. So the first question is sort of just a big, broad one. And why is it important to talk about death to anyone, whether that be kids or loved ones or even your uh, family and partner? That's a great question. Talking about death is one of the most loving things that you can do for the people in your life that you love. It's an unavoidable topic. It's gonna come for all of us, it will happen to all of us, and it will be easier for your loved ones, especially your children, if you try to help them to understand death before it actually touches their life really closely. And you know, if you talk about death calmly and routinely, then when it does happen to someone they love, because of course it will, it will be less scary, they'll be able to process their feelings, they'll be able to um, deal with the, the, the fear and the grief that we all naturally have as, as normal responses to loss. And you'll have the opportunity to kind of set aside any misconceptions they may have about death that can create, if unaddressed, could create some anxiety or some other kind of emotional problems moving on. So again, this is a, it's a really beautiful gift you can give to your loved ones by having these conversations openly. It's not easy, but it's important. Definitely. And I, I know that it, you know, it's something that none of us have experienced. So therefore it's so foreign and, and maybe scary, but if it's something that we talk about and is bring into part of our, our culture that maybe it's not so scary and it's not so foreign. So when it happens, you don't feel so um, blindsided. Let's, let's talk about how to talk about this with kids. Cause they are such a specific group. So how do you do that? What do you recommend when you're dealing with parents, uh, how to discuss death with kids? Uh, what do you, what do they actually need to know? Sort of what aspects are you going to share with them and what maybe are you going to hold back? And of course, this is going to vary on how old kids are, um, but how would you scaffold that for, for various kids? Yeah, Janet, that's a really great point because uh, like with everything in pediatrics and child development, it's important to know what stage that your individual child is at. And you know, you, your, your six-year-old child may have been in a different place as a three-year-old than your current three-year-old because every child progresses a little bit differently through those stages. And so that's a, sort of a general challenge that we have as parents is uh, learning from our children how to be the kind of parent that they need in this moment. So um, really the concept of death really begins very early in, in life, even at age two, when you know, they're, they're, they're barely having complete sentence, even before they're having complete sentences, they're going to have some awareness of death. And at, at the, that sort of preschool era, age two to six, the, the basic concept of death they're working with, uh, your body stops working. You know, that's, that's, how, that's how children are, that's about as, as emotionally mature as children can be about this. And so the, there's probably 
you know, if they have a habit of watching cartoon shows, the ones that are geared toward kids this age, you know, sometimes to pick characters who are pulverized, but then they rise up again and then shake it off and it's fine. You know, death isn't personal. It's not permanent. And they may have some magical thinking about death. You know, they may, they may continue. They may believe, for instance, that if their loved ones die, they may continue to live in the sky. And, and in like a very literal sense where, you know, if you're taking a family trip together, they'll be looking out the airplane window and wondering like, hey, where's grandma, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that it's important to know that at that age, uh, you want to give information in small bites and be very concrete. You know, we'll talk about this more, I think, as, as we go, but it's very important to use words like Mr. Tom died, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and to be very clear about that. Give it in small bites. Take your cues from, from your children as far as how much more information that they want to have. Uh, and as they, as they at the, at the tail end of the preschool years or the early school age years, those are those magical years where they're just asking all of the questions, mm-hmm. right? And so by delivering that information in small bites, being very matter of fact, being very factual, it kind of really helps them to understand, hey, this is not a big deal versus being really emotional and withdrawn or worse, trying to skirt the topic or avoid it completely teaches kids that these are hard conversations that we should avoid hard things, you know, mm-hmm. and, we, and we don't want that. Mm-hmm. So by the time you get into school age kids, ages six to nine, they have a, a different concept of death. They've gone beyond the body stops working phase because you know, we're initially you would talk about, well, you know, when somebody dies, their legs don't work anymore. They don't eat anymore. Um, they, uh, they don't talk anymore. Their body stops working uh, th- at this more advanced age. Kids are going to begin to recognize that all things will die things anyway, not necessarily me. And they'll eventually reach this, this conclusion that death is irreversible. Hmm. This is an age where you can start to point out examples of death, like, you know, there's a bug on the sidewalk, the cicadas that we were all walking over this spring. Um, oh, that house plant, you know, that, that mommy forgot to water. Um, or realistically, it's daddy that forgot to water. <laughs> Kids will develop that realization that all living things die. It's not a personal concept for them. You know, they may also begin to associate things like ghosts, skeletons, inanimate objects. Some of the symbols that the culture they're raised in associate with death start to, it starts to click. It starts to become salient. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the age where, because uh, if you ever went trick-or-treating and saw like, you know, your, your eight-year-old freak out about like a scare uh, from a, uh, like a, a haunted house on the street and your three-year-old is just blithely like, what? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> can kind of explain that. So um, at this age, pe- children begin to learn that people who die don't come back. Mm-hmm. But they haven't quite figured out uh, that, you know, this is a universal thing, right? That happens with your older school age kids, ages 9 to 12. Their whole thing is death happens to everyone. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to develop a more advanced, realistic view of death as they're getting into middle school. They're no longer going to believe that they can that they can escape death. Maybe the idea is going to dawn on them in some ways. And um, with this new knowledge that death might happen to them, right? They begin to be really curious about death. They develop their own views. They may have uh, what to adults seem like some like morbid preoccupations or really uh, unusual interest in uh, the spiritual aspects of death or death in other cultures, music or art that, um, you know, seems to feature death prominently, that can be part of like a normal developmental stage in a way of them sort of dealing with this new knowledge that they have, which is was pretty heavy for kids to, to, to take on for the first time. And by the time they're teenagers, 
they, they, there's this interesting paradox about teenagers because they're finally at the developmental stage of like, they get that on some level, death will happen to me. Hmm. And some of them, unfortunately, don't have the judgment to link their immediate actions with the risk of death. And so they, they appear <laughs> to, they, you know, they can, they can engage in some risky behaviors, not really thinking, oh, yeah, no, I definitely could have died with that. Oops. All right. Right. So that's, right. that's another issue of developing executive function. But but that's sort of the, they're kind of at that level as teenagers where usually they have the kind of the sophistication that we might expect from an adult in some cases. Mm-hmm. And um, however, again, the teenagers have a lot of big feeling. We all do at all ages, but teenagers especially can seem to have really big feelings. And they have this other developmental task of trying to develop some, establish some autonomy, you know, mm-hmm. like find their own identity. And to do that, they sometimes have to kind of like systematically dismantle everything that we love and stand for in order to (laughs) arrive at their own conclusions. And then, you know, when you mix grief and loss into that, you know, you can get some sort of strange results. But um, but, you know, again, sorting out what's developmentally appropriate and what and what's outside the range, you know, can 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 sort of be helpful. And the spoiler alert is like a lot of the really big feelings, uncomfortable conversations, even some of the acting out behaviors might be reasonably expected. Uh, it's important to just kind of meet your kids where they're at and try to understand where they're coming from as much as you can to be patient, uh, break it into small bites to validate, to normalize, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, it's okay to have big feelings around death. It's okay to cry with your kids. It's recommended. And, you know, we'll, 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 we'll get through all of it. All of us will get through this together because we have no other choice. <laughs> so true. I think some of the stuff that you're saying is actually really comforting too, because there's so many times when you look at your child's behavior and you're like, Ooh, is that normal? That seems really strange. And then it's saying, you know, listening to you say, Oh, you know, some of this fixation over death or interest or diving in or pushing back. That's really comforting to hear. I'm sure for many parents that a lot of these behaviors are absolutely normal. And it's just our job as parents to find the best way to support them and help them understand what's going on, you know, at the right age and stage for them. What would you recommend if you have kids who are struggling with this idea of death? I mean, it's something we all struggle with on some level, I think, but if you really have kids stuck in one spot, whether they're fixated or um, they're really struggling with, with sadness, what, what do you recommend if, if there is a, a child that is having a hard time? Well, I think it's important to know the warning signs that are going to help you tell the difference between a child that's grieving in an age appropriate way. Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe there's something else going on, like a, like a mental health issue or a kind of a social concern or, you know, something deeper that needs to be looked into more clearly. So, uh, you know, anytime a, a, your child is having issues with sleep, eating, school, you know, the basic stuff mm-hmm. or vague physical symptoms like headaches or belly pain uh, that just don't add up, mm-hmm. you know, that, that could be a sign of a bigger problem. You know, sometimes it shows up as anxiety in school that wasn't previously present, doesn't have an apparent trigger or anxiety around bedtime. Mm-hmm. A lot of young kids, especially if um, there's language used around death about, oh, you know, grandma went to sleep and she's not going to wake up again, begin to wonder, well, could that happen to me? Right, right. You know, so they, that, that may trigger some anxiety around sleeping at bedtime, panic attacks, um, extreme outbursts of anger. Hmm. Uh, withdrawing from friends or activities that they used to enjoy, uh, nightmares or night terrors or other kind of sleep disorders that, mm-hmm. that were, you know, kind of changing or, or, or not present previously. 
if they are, are sort of blunted, if they don't show the same range of emotions that they used to show, hmm. you know, that would be concerning. And then for your older children, your, 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 your young adults participating in um, activities like uh, substance abuse, uh, promiscuity, uh, vandalism, theft, aggressive behavior, those kind of acting out type behaviors, certainly all things that you would be looking into anyway, but in the context of grief, I mean, these are not normal features of grief, so that, that deserves a little bit more attention. And then, it, you know, at, at that point, you know, I, I think it's always a good first step just to try to level with your children, right? And mm -hmm. say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. What's going mm -hmm. on with you? Mm -hmm. And depending on the age, it may be developmentally appropriate for them to completely blow you off and say, I have nothing to do with you or this conversation. Fine. Right. <laughs> you know, but helping them to find someone that they can trust and, and confide in and talk with a school counselor, a minister, a psychologist, you know, trusted family member. I mean, you, you, we, it's important to recognize, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. Like if we're not always and only the best person to help our children with the problems that they're having. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. So true. <laughs> what would you recommend if maybe a loved one or a family member dies and parents are trying to figure out what's the best way to help a child mourn in a healthy way? Mm -hmm. um, whether this be as a whole family or specifically the, the child individually. Well, remember, kids are going to progress through their development stages at, at different rates, mm -hmm. you know, and so there, you, know, you may have if you have multiple children of different ages, you know, some of them may seem actually kind of unbothered by the death of a loved one. Others on the other end of the spectrum could be highly emotional. Um, and, and, and even within a given developmental age, every child's going to handle death differently, you know, and so I don't have like a playbook for you. Right. You know, no way to make this easy. Like we're going to, we're going to break death down into seven easy steps. Right. And it's also important to recognize, like if you remember from your psychology undergraduate classes, like there's Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's like the, the stages of grief, mm -hmm. you know, and for those of us like busy type A parents who have, you know, kind of growing in our professional roles. And then we've got kids that are forming their own identities and we've got them in 17 sports. And then meanwhile, we're taking care of our aging parents those of us type A sort of people um, may want to feel this temptation to like, you know, schedule our stages of grief. So I'm going to do anger. <laughs> I'm going to do denial for a week, right? And then I'm going to give myself right. a couple of weeks of anger and then I'm going to get this <laughs> bargaining thing. Oh, I'm not excited about the depression. I'll try to get that out of the way over the long weekend, you know, and then, you know, I'll yes, get to this yeah. acceptance thing and, you know, six easy weeks, right? Yeah, this absolutely. Is how we, and that's not yep. how grief works at all, right? Grief is erratic. <laughs> You bounce back and forth between these. There's a lot of complex emotions that go on with grief and kids really aren't all that different mm. in a sense. It's not like smaller people have proportionately smaller sized emotions, right, you know, right. spend any time with a toddler. You realize it's definitely not the case. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what can we do to help them mourn in a healthy way? It's not so different than how we would help uh, adults in some ways. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, but you know, the thing to remember is that it's very important, especially for your younger kids, not to try to pull punches or sugarcoat things. Like it's not helpful for you to tell them he's living in the sky now. Mm -hmm. He, he went to sleep forever. Um, he passed away. Well, what does that mean? Right. Right. To a kid, you, it's very important to use words like grandma died. Her body stopped working. We're not going to see her anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you want to give them very understandable information about grief, the feelings you're having. I feel that way too. It's normal to feel that way because we really love grandma and we're going to miss her. Mm -hmm. you, you want to give them reassurance that they're going to have their needs met, right? So I'm, I'm not going to leave you. Um, and, um, you know, someone will always take care of you. Even if something bad did happen to me, someone would always be there to take care of you. You know, it, there's tempting in some cultures to 
you know, try to hide the fact of death or impending death from, from children. Mm-hmm. Um, why burden them with that? Uh, but, you know, for a lot of children, just like a lot of adults, it's important to offer them the opportunity to say their goodbyes or to participate in memorials. You know, and that gets, that's, that's a, a very individualized decision about what that looks like. But um, trying to pretend like the death is not happening or, oh, we're going to, you know, I, I'm dealing with my own grief. And so I don't have time to deal with theirs. So I'm going to just, you know, put that on the back burner for now and we'll tell them what happened later it could probably create more problems later on than it's going to solve in the short term. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And then you could ask them, what are their own individual thoughts and opinions about death? I think that's important. We don't do that enough. And so kind of understanding, checking in with your child to see like, where are they coming from and how are they thinking through this gives you an opportunity to respond to their specific concerns without feeling like you're having to lecture and also um, helps you to correct any misconceptions they may have about, about death and dying. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think those are all such important things to remember. Do, I, I think especially maybe in American culture, we do want to protect our children and shelter them from some of these conversations that we feel are challenging. Um, and it's important to remember is that you're sort of undermining yourself as a parent if you do that, because it's just going to come back and bite you in the butt later. So <laughs> it, be three brave. Big things you, yeah, definitely three big things you definitely don't want to do, right? <laughs> The, the first one is, is we talked about this a little bit. It's those euphemisms like passed on, passed away, went on to a better place, went to their eternal rest. They were sleeping forever. They went to live with God, you know, because your three-year-old might say, oh, they went to live with God. God's their new roommate. When can I visit? Right, right. You know, right. When, 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 is she, when is she going to bring God by? Can we have lunch sometime, right? <laughs> and, um, and I'm not trying to make, make trivialize anybody's religious beliefs. If, if kids have been from a very young age taught to rely on those beliefs for comfort, then that's something they can lean on. But if, if you're only introducing these in the context of death, it's, it's just not going to work if, if that isn't something that's already been, been put in place for them. And, and those words like gone to heaven or God took your family member are going to be frightening if they're unfamiliar with that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, especially the younger kids. And so, um, or if you say, you know, Aunt Susan went away. Mm-hmm. You know, again, they, they may they may become fearful that when their loved ones go away on vacation or to the store down the street, they're never going to return. So, be very so it's it's always a safe bet to use very specific language like you know Aunt Susan died. Mm-hmm. Uh, another cause for confusion if you say oh Aunt Susan got very sick and so her body stopped working you know she 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 got sick and died. Mm-hmm. Uh, at various developmental stages, children may not be able to recognize there's different kinds of sick right. I just feel bad or I don't. Right. right. And so in their minds, they might think that all illnesses can lead to death. And so yeah, they get a mild cold and immediately that's where their curiosity will go. Oh, I'm going to die. Right. And um, it's an oversimplification, but it's important to be, to be upfront about that. So, you know, we have to find a way, if we're talking about sickness and death, we have to explain that you know, there's only some diseases that cause people to die. Don't, don't assume that they're automatically going to realize that. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it's important to explain to them, especially the younger children, like just because you're sick doesn't mean that you're going to die. Just because right. you have cancer these days doesn't mean that you're automatically going to die. Right. Um, you know, many people will get sick. Sometimes they'll live a very long time and have a very good life for many years while they're sick. Sometimes they get better. And, and that, but that, that um, just immediately defaulting to, oh, they're sick and died, you know, can cause some problems. And then the final really big mistake that people make, I think, I mean, there's many, but the, the big three is saying, oh, you know, Aunt Susan died, but that's okay because she was very old. Hmm. 
And what we don't want is for kids to have this misconception that only old people die. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I can give you a false security, sense of security about death. And unfortunately, death is a thing that could happen to any of us. I could be hit by a meteor tomorrow, right? And you, you know, you wouldn't want them if they then experience the death of a younger person, a cousin or classmate, heaven forbid, like you wouldn't want them to become distrustful of life in general. So people of all ages die, mm -hmm. right? It's important that they recognize that. And it's important to reassure them that they will live a long life, probably, if they take good care of their body and they make good choices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are very concrete pieces of advice. And I think it's helpful to have that too when you as an adult are also grieving and can get lost in the in sort of what you're dealing with your own emotions. So so thinking about that, shifting a little bit away from, from kids and more into adults, um, when do you recommend that adults start talking to each other about their end of life choices and preferences. You know, is this something like, okay, I'm, you know, 70 years old, let's have this conversation. Let's make sure I get it in my will. Or, you know, is this something like, okay, I'm 20 or I'm 18 and I'm leaving the house. I'm, I'm officially an adult. These are things I need to be thinking about. Um, what, what would you recommend to your, to, to your clients? What a great question, Janet. So it's like the old saying goes, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. The second best time to plant a tree is today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not trying to imply, oh, you know, hang up the can't turn off the Facebook, like call your, your mother and immediately say, we need to talk about death, mom, because all of us are going to die. Right, right. It's probably not a great strategy for most families anyway. But, but it's important that we have these conversations soon. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and before you feel comfortable is a good rule of thumb, because if you wait until just everything is perfect and you feel completely prepared and completely comfortable, that's probably never going to happen realistically. So you have to get to the point where you can feel just uncomfortable enough that you can just kind of like push yourself into it, I think is a, a totally reasonable thing. And, and, you know, it's going to be awkward. Mm -hmm. There's no way to just sort of nail the landing on this. For anybody, it's not going to, if you're, if you're doing it right, it's probably not going to feel good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if you have that expectation, you know, then it maybe when you're feeling naturally some reluctance to have these conversations, if your fight or flight, you know, kind of gets, you know, if you feel like the hair is standing up at the back of your neck, or if it's just not going exactly the way you pictured, or it's a little bit more awkward than you, than you recognize, you can just sort of take three deep breaths and recognize, no, this is one of the most difficult types of conversations you, you can have in life. And, you know, and it's difficult because, but it's important, right? That's one, what's one of the okay. things that we, one of the reasons we know it's so important is how difficult it is. And um, yeah, so I, I guess the, the, as soon as that you can. So just like with your children, these opportunities come up if you're, you know, if you're driving down the road and there's some roadkill, or, you know, if, if you have the dead house plan, if you, if you go out of your way to find um, like children's books that deal with topics around death or dying and add that to your bedtime reading rotation, they don't have to be morbid, right? But they can right. just pose the question. Then, um, you know, you the same thing with your with your uh, older, older parents, because again, it can happen at any age. You don't have to wait for a diagnosis like cancer or dementia. Some people try to make an event out of this. You know, you're already gathered around the Thanksgiving or the, the, the Rosh Hashanah table, right? You right. Know, so you, if there's some big family gathering, could be a really great opportunity to have just sort of real and sort of vulnerable conversations. If that works in your family unit for other family units, 
that ain't going to fly. Right. Right. And so you may need to have these more intimate one-on-one conversations. Maybe it comes up as a plot point in a movie. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there's this article that you just read in the newspaper, you know, maybe there's an aside, like, you know, if your mother's favorite, you know, artist, singer, some notable person dies, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, there's all kinds of uh, kind of indirect excuses that we can leverage just, just opportunities that come up on a, on a weekly basis that we could use to start that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to wait for the right time because it will never come. Right. Absolutely. Um, what would you suggest to um, someone who's trying to maybe talk to an older parent? So you feel like I need to know what my parents want to do when they pass away, when they <laughs> die. Um, what would you say if, if that conversation is a struggle and the, the mm. older individual is avoiding it or not really, or, you know, blowing, blowing you off, um, in some way, how would you, you know, what are some things that you would say, Hey, this is important because, or like, I'm doing this because, you know, I'm not just saying that you're old and you're going to die and, you know, we need to get this covered, but like, these are, these are, this is a really important conversation to have. Like, how would you frame that? Yeah, you know, so the the magical words that you can say to your mother or father to get them to have the conversation about death, mm-hmm. even though they're totally reluctant to, are as follows. No, sorry, kidding. It <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? No, it, that would be so, amazing. Yeah, no, I don't have that. Uh, um, unfortunately, I don't have that. I don't think that exists. I I, I think that um, it's important, just like with your kids, it's important to be patient. Mm. You know, and they, they may not want to have this conversation today. They may not be ready, but they're not really, if they're not ready to engage in that conversation, the whole point of having it is so that you can understand their wishes. Mm-hmm. They may have no idea what they want, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it wouldn't be a productive conversation if they can't show up to that conversation ready to give you, you know, like some useful information. So, right. you know, you can just try to take those first steps. You can say, mom, you know, here's what I came up with for mine. Right. Because if you have if you have the um, the ability to think through that yourself, even if you're, you know, 30, 40, 50 years younger than your parents. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that may demonstrate to them, hey, this is really important. And maybe it wasn't all that hard. And, hey, I want some similar things, but I also want different things. You know, that's that's one really useful strategy is for you to, you know, kind of go first. Right. Right. You know, or another is to just sort of if there's other friends or family in their lives that have where it maybe didn't go so well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we can kind of point like I really don't want what happened to Aunt Susan to happen to you. And I understand you may not be ready to have that conversation today, but you know, that, you know, that's not good. That problem's not going to go away. Right. You know, so someday we're going to have to, so what would it take for us to have that conversation? Right. I think can be, I think can be really powerful. And if you ever do think of, if you ever do find like the six magic words, then, you know, please let me know. Absolutely. I'll pass that along. Um, but it sounds like at the very least plant the seed. And so you can get them thinking about it. So maybe you can have that conversation in the, in the near future. Yeah. Um, what, what would you recommend as a first step? Like, okay, I'm ready to have this, make these Mm -hmm. decisions, or I'm ready to have these conversations. And and I've come up with these choices. What would you recommend? Okay. Now you need to do this. Now you need to have this documented in a will, or now you need to tell these people, what are some tangible things that actually need to be in place and who needs to know about it? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So, um, the, the basic decisions you need to make about end of life, are first of all, who do you want to act, have act as your healthcare agent? Mm. Because the healthcare agent, if you don't specify somebody else in a living will kind of document or a medical power of attorney, mm-hmm. the, the doctor, if, if you're unable to express your wishes, the doctor is going to turn to your next of kin and say, <laughs> okay, what are we going to do here? Right. If that person says, 
I can't make that decision, you know, and nobody else is available. You may have a doctor that you've never met deciding how you spend the last moments of your life. Hmm. They may not guess right. Right. You know, I, I wouldn't trust myself to, to make that even for patients. I know, well, when patients experience these near death events where there was no one available and the doctors make the decision, some of these patients get better and mm-hmm. they wake them up and they ask them, what did you want us to do here? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really interesting because it's like a coin flip. It's literally like 50, 50, do the doctors guess correctly or don't. Wow. They, right. So we just, I could have known you for a decade as your doctor and have no clue. Right. Right. So very important that you write your wishes down and, and you know, you can't, anticipate every potential scenario. Mm-hmm. So you can't write a detailed like 300 page playbook manual or whatever. It's just not how it works. And so in the absence of that, you've got to have someone whose judgment you trust, who makes good decisions under pressure, who doesn't get too emotional about it, who understands your wishes. It may not be your spouse or your best friend or your next of kin. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the person that you designate as your healthcare agent may not be obvious, but it can be really important in, in terms of you having your wishes followed through with. And then you got to think through what kind of medical treatment would you actually want or not want? And if you're not like super familiar with life support and, and, and medical treatment, if what you know about the end of what you see, like shows like Grey's Anatomy, you know, it might be useful to talk to your doctor about mm-hmm. what does dialysis really mean? Mm-hmm. You know, when we intubate somebody, like what is, what's that process? Like break down the different kinds of life support and what the implications are for those so that you can understand them now when it isn't an emergency Right. versus have some very busy doctor kind of slide into your intensive care unit bed and sort of ask your family, well, you want us to do everything, don't you? Right, right. Right. It's going to maybe generate a very different outcome than what you would have expected or chosen had you thought about it beforehand. Mm-hmm. And, and you want to think about like, how would you like to be kept comfortable? Um, all right, you know, and my, my wife has this thing about like the bed sheets. You know, li- alive or dead, it's my responsibility to make sure that she's never stuck someplace with like the, the sheets tucked into the end of the bed because her feet like, can't be free or something. So this is great for me because I haven't had to make a bed in years. <laughs> but, but you know, we all probably, if we think about that, we've got these little preferences about like, how would you want to be cared for the, right. that are really important to us that we can easily write those things down and, and make that happen for ourselves if we plan ahead a little bit. And there's even deeper social, emotional, spiritual needs. Do you want to be visited by a minister? Do you want your friends to come and say goodbye? Do you, do you not want to say goodbye? Do you want to record a video? Do you want an Elvis tribute artist? I mean, there's any number of things that you may want to have present for you at the end of your death. And if you think ahead, maybe you can join in on some of the fun if you're lucky, right? Right. right? right. Versus um, just have it happen. And then everyone kind of wonder like, like what, what should we do here? You know, on that note, how would you like to be remembered? Mm-hmm. You know, would it be important for you? Do you want to have your name on a park bench? Mm-hmm. You know, is there, is there some tradition that your friends can do to, to, to honor you that you could have a hand in creating, I mean, you know, you can be as creative as you want with that. And then finally, you know, what do you want your loved ones to know? And this is really important, Janet. Um, there's this great book called the four things that matter most. Mm-hmm. And it talks about the four conversations you want to have with somebody toward the end of life. But really it's the subtitle of this book is actually conversations for, for, for a good life, not a good death, because these are probably all things that are hard conversations we should be having with everybody all the time. Mm. They are, um, number one, please forgive me. Number two, I forgive you. Number three, thank you. And number four, I love you. Mm. And, you know, and if you are all the people that are really close to you in your life, if you've had these four conversations, if you're up to date, with the four things that matter most, again, you could be hit by a meteor tomorrow and you know, you'll have left that, that, that 
you'll have left in, them in a good place. Um, right. And so that, but that's another thing that we can, if we have the the luxury of of having a little bit of of of, uh, of foreknowledge about our death coming, uh, which is increasingly likely in the world that we live in now, mm-hmm. then um, you know those are conversations that we can get started on today. So there's an example of how thinking about death can help us to lead a better life. Mm-hmm. So simple, but so powerful. I have one last question for you before we let you go is just if you could speak a little bit about your new email course that's come out in terms of talking about death and how to make some of these hard choices and hard conversations. You know, thank you, Janet. I've, and I've helped hundreds of patients over the years deal with these issues in their family. I, I've had to deal with this in my own family. I've had some of my grandparents die with hospice and some without you know, and I've seen the difference that good end of life care and, and conversations among family members can make. So I want to invite everybody. Uh, you can go on the, the the resource page, I think, from from the from this episode mm-hmm. and find a link to sign up for this uh, email course. Talking about death won't kill you. Right. Where you'll receive a series of emails, one every weekday for five days. That kind of walks you through this process step by step. Uh, helps you get your own affairs in order. And once you're able to do that for yourself. I think you'll find it's a lot easier to have these conversations with other people and maybe get other members of your family who are on the fence about this to be a little bit more curious and kind of meet you halfway. Um, there's also a list of uh, children's books um, by, by age group about death and dying um, that, that you'll be able to find, I think, on the, on the, on the, on the resources page on your site, yeah, uh, which great. I highly recommend if you're looking for some, um, some resources, some, some um, unemotional, uh, accessible ways to, to bring up these topics with kids at various ages. That's really, really helpful. Um, I think, you know, we're always looking as parents for more resources, whether it be for our kids, ourselves, or our parents. So all of that is tremendously useful. And then can people sign up for your email course at any time? It's a great question. That's right. It's an evergreen offer for the first hundred people that sign up uh, there. I'm giving free access to a, a really great resource called five wishes, which is at five wishes.org. I don't have any financial relationship with them, but this is a, uh, it's a document that in the state of Maryland, if you if you go through all of the steps and have it properly signed and witnessed, will be will serve as a, a legally valid um, end of life document, power of attorney for you. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, normally. A, uh, so uh, I really want to encourage people to sign up for the for the course, get your free access to the five wishes, or you can go to fivewishes.org and download a copy for yourself or a friend or a family member. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Joey Nichols for um, all of this great information about how to talk about death. Um, Thank you also to all of our viewers and listeners today for for joining us on this conversation. Uh, Make sure that you visit ChesapeakeFamily.com for up-to-date local information on home, health, and living for today's Maryland parent. This episode will be archived on ChesapeakeFamily.com in both video and podcast format. And all of those resources that Dr. Joey listed will be up there as well for you to access. I'm Janet Jefferson with Chesapeake Family Life and Third Floor Views. Thank you so much.